Welcome in. It's another edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast alongside Blue Ribbon's Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. On today's show, our guest will be Joe Lenardi, the ESPN bracketologist and longtime friend of the show. So looking forward to visiting with Joe here in a few minutes and uh, getting the lowdown on the, these early season brackets that he puts out there. Chris, uh, to start the show, I want to talk about streaks real quick. Of course, we, we all know about UCLA's long win streak uh, going back to the 1970s. Uh, you can think oh, of yeah. a lot of others that have uh, gone throughout college basketball history. I know we're going to talk about Kentucky playing at home. They had that 129-game home court win streak that lasted from the 40s into the 50s. I had a streak come to an end this morning, and it's just devastating. I mean, it's it's a tough way to start the show. <laughs> I every morning I start the day, I, I play some little puzzle type games. I, I play the baseball grid, the immaculate grid, and um, I play yep. a game called Connections. But I also play Wordle. I've got into playing Wordle uh, yeah, a few months ago. I, I haven't played as many as some people have. But my 131-game win streak in Wordle came to an end this morning, and it, oh, it was to tough that, to take. Dude. The word I missed oh, on was sharp, and um, sharp. My my guesses were raise, arson, straw, sugar, scarf, and I thought at that point, okay, I got one more guess, and I, I can probably get it. I guess shark, and it came up sharp, and, and it's tough. Oh man. So one letter away, dude. yeah, one letter away from from keeping it going. I mean, I'd only gotten down to the sixth guess a couple of times. I usually can get it in, in three or four, but it, it's a fun game. Like if you play crossword puzzles, or if you've worked crossword puzzles, like I have for a lot yeah. of years, um, that that's one that, uh, a game that's a lot of fun. But yeah, I haven't gotten into it yet. You're going to have to teach me the basics. Yeah, there, there's not much to it. You just you just start you just throw in some letters and and you know you try for your first word to be mostly vowels so you can start to sort of narrow it down and it shows you. Right. If you have a letter in the right place, or it shows you if you have a letter that's in the word but in not in the right place, and so you, you go from there. You know, tomorrow's a new day. We'll start a new streak. It is, but but a hundred thirty one game one streak came to a close this morning. We have a long win streak on, on this podcast, uh, putting together good shows, we hope. So uh, let, let's uh, get things going here. And uh, been some really interesting games over the last few days. Uh, I know I was watching some of that Jimmy V Classic at Madison Square Garden back on Tuesday. A team that you're going to see on Saturday, Illinois, they beat FAU 98-89. That one was close down to the end. I thought some interesting strategy there in the final minute or so of that game. And then in the second game, fifth-ranked UConn held off number 9, North Carolina 87-76. So some some good games in that Jimmy V Classic going back to Tuesday. And, uh, boy, there have been a bunch of them. Already seen some conference games in the Big Ten and the ACC as well. Yeah, you know, I'm really looking forward to seeing Illinois. I, I, I was anyway, and, and I'm really intrigued after that their start and, and this this Jimmy V performance. Uh, Terrence Shannon and Marcus Domath uh, scored 30 points apiece, uh, uh, and that hadn't been done by a pair of D1 teammates since a couple of guys did it for Marist in January of 99. I can give you the names, but I don't know if they'd resonate. Thomas Kenny and Drew Samuels. Let's oh, put them yeah. out there. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you say Marist. I think Rick Smits. That, that's the first name that comes to mind for me. I uh, remember Rick Smits. I actually covered a tournament and walked out my door and practically ran into that dude. Huh. He was seven four. I mean, he was as big as a mountain, and I'll I'll never forget that. That was way back in the day. I, I want to say it was Stetson. You you've been to Stetson? I have. I have yeah. been to Stetson. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I remember seeing old Rick Smits. But uh, 
Yeah, Illinois has got it going on right now. Uh, they shot 63% against FIU, which isn't easy to do. Those guys get after you defensively. So I'm looking forward. Uh, I don't know who created Tennessee's schedule. I don't think Rick Barnes <laughs> intended it for it to be as brutal as it is, especially if you throw in a, a, a uh, non-counting exhibition game at, at Michigan State. But they've been to Michigan State. Wisconsin played numbers one and two in Maui uh, and then went to North Carolina. And now they've got Illinois at home, which has suddenly vaulted into the top 10 of some of these power rankings. I know Gary Parrish of CBS uh, Sports just put the Illini in his top 10. So looking forward to seeing that. And then UConn, uh, I watched that game and uh, I like that Cam Spencer guy that they got from from Rutgers he's he's a Jersey dude he's not afraid to mix it up he's not afraid to toss a three in your face and let you know about it <laughs> and uh that that's perfect for Danny Hurley because Danny Hurley doesn't mince words at all uh I think they both got technicals in that game if I'm not mistaken or one of them did but uh it's it's more of same for UConn they have great shooters but when the shots aren't falling they can turn to a big time big man so uh, they're going to be heard from all season long. And who knows? Nobody's repeated since those great Florida teams uh, of the early aughts. So we'll see. Yeah, and only two programs have repeated, period, going back to those UCLA teams in the 70s. You know, Duke yeah. went back-to-back in 91 and 92, and then Florida uh, in 06 and 07. Uh, another interesting result I thought this week was in the Shaka Smart Bowl as number eight Marquette blasted 12th-ranked Texas 86-65 on Wednesday. What did you make of that one? It surprised me. It, it really did. But the thing about I'm – sure, I'm sure Shaka's an all-world dude. Anybody that's worked for him or knows him will tell you that. But I'm sure maybe some somewhat of, uh, I don't know, animosity bled over from him, whether by osmosis to his players. And they just put the poundola on Texas. <laughs> the, the thing about it, it, it's one of the great mysteries of our time, uh, unless you look at it a certain way. I think Shaka Smart excels when he can recruit players who have – something to prove, chip on their shoulder, ax to grind, choose your cliche, and, and can get them motivated. And also, uh, I think he needs to play fast, and, and he needs to force the tempo. And when he was in the Big 12, where every team has a good point guard that can break presses, he wasn't necessarily able to do that. And he was also compelled to recruit players that – I don't know, five-star type guys. Texas is loaded with them. They're on every street corner down there. And so that's just not who he is. And did I think Marquette could beat Texas? Yes. Did I think they could beat them by 20? I did not. But I got to feel like some animosity by osmosis, if no other reason, bled over into his players and said, we're going to stick up for our coach and we're going to let you have it. Yeah, I thought the uh, the quote by Tyler Kolick was really entertaining after the game. He said that, that Shaka had basically downplayed the whole thing, that it didn't really have extra meaning. Yeah. It was just another game. And Kolick said, yeah, sure. th- that's bleep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Let's talk about Duke for a moment. They entered this season ranked in the top five. They're off to a five and three start, and they played a really difficult schedule too. They lost at home to Arizona, beat Michigan State, lost on the road at Arkansas, and then at Georgia Tech uh, last weekend, 72-68 in their ACC opener. It is a difficult schedule, but do you feel like there are bigger issues that need to be fixed for John Shire's team to be successful? Yeah, I, I, I think these results show that. Uh, although Georgia Tech beat a ranked Mississippi State team in that SEC-ACC challenge, so maybe there's more to Georgia Tech and first-year head coach Damon Stoudemire than meets the eye. But Jeremy Roach had a quote, which was pretty telling. He said that the coaches had prepared them for everything they needed to look for against Arkansas and and Georgia Tech, and the players just didn't execute it. So I think that, uh, you know, th- th- then they off the court, they lose the number two ranked recruit to Rutgers, and, and now all of a sudden fans are going nuts and they're wondering about John Shire, and that's ludicrous. He's a good young head coach, a great recruiter, and it's just going to be a matter of time. I think, like I said about Tennessee with the brutal schedule, uh, John Shire and, and Rick Barnes are okay with three losses right now as long as those three losses taught them some things. And and I believe it probably did. Let's talk about surprise teams for a moment. And I know it's something we're going to get into uh, when we have Joe Lenardi with us here in a couple minutes. But who stood out to you, good or bad, so far this college basketball season through a month plus here? Well, I think surprising in a good way. And, and uh, I'll probably stick to a good way for now because I know Joe will get into – some that he thinks are surprising the opposite way. But for me, I'll, I'll, I'll go with the surprise teams in a good way. Colorado State, 15 and 18 last year, ranked 110th in Ken Palm. This year, they're 9 and 0 with wins over Colorado, Washington. And uh, they just recently pounded St. Mary's. So that's a team that's well coached. And despite personnel losses, uh, they always seem to to be right there, except for last year. I think last year was an aberration. Uh, BYU, another team that Joe is likely to talk about, uh, they haven't played a true conference game in the Big 12 yet, but they're certainly on their way to, to maybe being representative in their first year in that league. Mark Pope made a conscious decision last year. He wanted to stay young, so his team was filled with mostly freshmen and sophomores. He wanted everybody back for a run in this Big 12. And so far, my God, they're number one in the net, number two in Torvik, number six in Ken Palm, and number six in the Massey Composite. They're winning by an average of 32.9 points, and they're playing fast, and they're cranking up 33.7 threes a game. And you said you saw them in, mm-hmm. in, in Vegas. Uh, I think Clemson off to an 8-0 start, uh, having – just beaten their arch-rival South Carolina for, I think, their first loss is another surprise team. And here's the one that might be the most surprising among the the upper majors. Uh, Oklahoma was picked 12th uh, to finish 12th in the the Big 12. BYU was picked 13th, by the way. Uh, They're number 19 in the AP Top 25. They're 8-0 after a 15-17 record a year ago so they've beaten iowa usc and providence and and uh i i think 
the, with Texas and Oklahoma coming to the SEC next year, that uh, you're going to see it more than me because you travel to every game with Bandy. But that's going to be a, 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 an incredible league. So I think those are the teams that have kind of caught my eye so far. And I'll let Joe take it away for the rest. Our guest is a guy we always love having on our show. He joins us a couple times a season. He is the one and only ESPN bracketologist, Joe Lenardi. It's his 30th season of bracketology on ESPN, uh, leading into Selection Sunday, of course, coming up in March. We'll start to get two updates per week in January for when conference games get underway. Joe, what's going on, man? I'm just sitting here, fellas, looking at the landscape a month in and thinking, have we learned anything about this season? (laughs) that I could possibly share on the Blue Ribbon podcast in some erudite fashion. And then I realized I don't know how to spell erudite. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know that I know what it means. So have we learned anything yet, Joe? Here's the thing. And, you know, it's a shame that Joe is such a soft-spoken and retiring guy. You know, we can, we can hardly get much out of him, but, uh, no, it's it's always great to have you on, buddy. And I couldn't wait to ask you, relative to your preseason bracketology, and and you study it better than anyone. Relative to your preseason bracketology, who has uh, underperformed and overperformed? You can pick one from each category. Uh, I'd really be curious to hear what you think about that. I would say at the high major level, I, I, I think you'd have to start with Michigan State. Uh, not yeah. not getting a lot of attention, positive or negative, at this point, guys. But, you know, a consensus number one seed to start the season. Uh, now at 500, admittedly, they've played, you know, the typical Tom Izzo schedule. Uh and and that's great, but you know when I watch them, and, and I watched them at home the other night in their Big Ten opener against Wisconsin, and I'm just thinking they they can't score enough uh, to be. I'm not saying they're going to miss the NCAA tournament. They might be on the bubble. They might not go very far, but nothing about them suggests to me anyway that they're a one seed. So so that would be one, if, if you want to call it underachiever. Uh, and, and in fairness, it could mean that they're achieving perfectly and we were wrong, right? <laughs> I mean, it, like it's easy to point a finger at the team when like they didn't, they didn't send out a press release saying, make us a number one seed. Mm-hmm. We did that. Yeah. Uh, and, and and on the mid-major level, you, you know, uh, I, I've been I've been on the St. Mary's bandwagon for a few years now, and back-to-back number five seeds for one of the smallest schools in Division One, and and you know I think among true mid-majors, like to me, like San Diego State, Colorado State, BYU, they're not mid-majors. Like they play right. major college football and charter their own planes. Okay. But you know, what we used to call mid majors and, and they're three and five and have looked pretty bad doing it. And y- y- we've just not really ever seen them underachieve. So, so that's caught my eye, Chris. 
And then maybe on the other side of things, high major, I just mentioned BYU a minute ago. I last time I looked, they were first or second on the early net rankings. And I mean, they're not that, but this transition to the big 12 could have been ugly. Uh, they were seven and nine last year in the WCC. Yeah. So you wouldn't think that would translate into starting their first big 12 season, potentially unbeaten. So uh, I, I would give BYU some props at the high major level for, for overachieving. And then here, here's one at the mid major level uh, on my mind, because when we're done with this, I have a, a zoom with Mitch Henderson, the Princeton coach. Uh, yeah. They're coming in to Philly where I'm based uh, to play St. Joe's on Sunday. And uh, apparently no other English speaking person is available. I'm doing color for that. And I'm looking at, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at Princeton and I'm saying they lost their three best players and yep. they're, looking to go 10 and 0 for the first time ever and i'm thinking like could the ivy league get in that large bid and i just that'd be I, great i i just think it would be a great story and when you do what i do like those kind of little intricacies are what you know keep those late nights in late february and early march alive when you're crunching the numbers so uh, I'm going to root for Princeton the rest of the way, except for uh, two hours on Sunday when they when they play my Hawks. So there's that. Joe Lenardi is our guest. Uh, I was looking at, at some of your, your early projections, and I saw a couple of SEC teams in there. South Carolina, Ole Miss, Florida, they're off to good starts. And there's a lot of basketball to go, but do you feel like those teams and maybe a couple more from that league have a good shot of, of possibly being in the field? I think the SEC – looks like maybe the second best conference in terms of quantity of bids top to bottom this year after the big 12, uh, you know, you, you, you got your obvious teams that are going to make it, you know, Tennessee, Kentucky, Alabama, et cetera. Right. I, I was kind of asking like Auburn. after, after the big guns, obviously. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. so, you know, you look at Florida, Ole Miss, maybe Mississippi state, South Carolina, uh, undefeated until this week. Uh, haven't written off Georgia, uh, close to writing off LSU, but not quite there yet. Uh, and, and you know, if half of those teams that Kevin, you and I just mentioned make it, you know, that's going to be seven, eight bids. And that would be, I think eight would be a record uh, for the SCC. And, and it, it it's not out of the question here in this, last year before the league gets even bigger and all those, you know, records of number of bids and percentage of teams in and all that kind of go out the window. Joe, uh, keeping on the SEC, tell us why Tennessee benefits more from losing three games in a row to Purdue, Kansas, and at North Carolina than beating three, as Al McGuire used to say, cupcakes at home. Well, I guess now that I've reached – a certain age, Chris, I, I would say it depends on who made the cupcakes. Right. And, and you know, how good they are. So, right. so like, 
you know, because because my last checkup, my doctor said I wasn't getting enough icing. So, like, I like those. I like those. You, you can you can fix that easily enough. I like those cupcake references, but I mean, certainly, maybe winning one of those three games would have made the trade a little more palatable for the Vols. I have not left the Tennessee bandwagon. Uh, they right. were in my preseason Final Four. I still think they have the right pieces. Uh, obviously, they're hard to play against. And, I mean, one of these years in the tournament, it just seems like the ball has to bounce their way. So, you would tell uh, I, I, I wouldn't, you know, jump off a cliff there as a Vol fan. And uh, have, having done the Big Orange Club a, a couple times there in the last few years, I want to be nice because, you know, I'm, I'm probably due to get invited back. And that was some pretty mean <laughs> barbecue. <laughs> Joe, uh, as we let you go, I mentioned earlier, you're going to start to to put together two updates per week in January when, when the conference games really get underway. D- does that really add a lot extra on your plate, or are you, are you already doing that sort of number crunching that you just put out an extra uh, extra bracket every week? Yeah, a little of both. I mean, this is really inside baseball, but you know what was the first night of the year, November sixth, sixth, yeah, and selection Sunday is St. Patrick's Day. So that's March 17th. That's about, you know, 150, 160 days. And every night from opening night until selection Sunday afternoon, like I don't go to bed without an updated one to 68. Hmm. Wow. Uh, and, 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 and I realize, you know, this is, this is probably not a babe magnet kind of a thing to brag about, but, <laughs> but, but I kind of view that as the job. I'm, I, you know, a lot of people are doing this now and many of many, many of them are excellent and better at the numbers than I'll ever be. Uh, but I, I kind of view myself and, and Chris, this is right up your alley as the paper of record in this. No question. And, and you know, someday it'll be somebody else. Uh, but at least today, it's still me. And I, 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 the reality is I work for a 24-7 network that needs content all the time. So there's, there's after the first couple weeks of the year, there's never a day where I'm not going to get a call or a text or a question about – Where's this or that team? Like last night, Iowa played Iowa State on ESPNU on on a very slow night in college basketball up against Thursday night football. I can't imagine the ratings were breaking the bank. Yet, yet, they wanted to run a graphic on where Iowa and Iowa State were. So unless I'm keeping up from night one, I don't have what I would view to be a defensible, credible, data-based answer to that question. And, you know, obviously those questions and the the volume of only increase as we move here along toward March. Like, this is kind of vacation time, really. When I'm watching a game, I'm mostly watching for pleasure. Uh, But I know what's coming because it's not not my first one of these. And and so, so... 
if I had to do a bracket every day, Kevin, it would simply be the 45 minutes to an hour it takes to take that seed list, put it in a bracket following all of their principles and procedures, which, you know, I've internalized. Yeah. Like better than my own checking account. <laughs> and and <laughs> like like I know who number 47 is right now. I don't know what's in my checking account. But like like that's the job. So yeah, uh, uh, updates are just what I do every night before, you know, the head hits the pillow. Yeah, I think 47 might be the number in my checking account. There, there are a lot of people who do brackets. There's only one Joe Lenardi, and we're always thrilled to have him with us. Joe, have a great holiday season, and we'll catch up with you again soon, man. You got it. And the answer is Dayton, by the way, number Dayton, 47. okay. All right, the Flyers checking in at number 47. <laughs> Glad to know that. Merry Christmas, fellas. All right, thanks, Joe. Same to you, you too. Thanks again. You bet. Well, that's Joe Lenardi. Chris, he's always entertaining. You don't have to ask him a whole lot. You just let him roll. No, no. Like I said, when I introduced him, it's a shame the dude's so quiet. You, know, it's just, uh, you just got to coax it. No, he uh, he knows his stuff. And what shocked me the most, and I, I I knew this anyway, but I mean, his head doesn't hit the pillow till he's got a bracket every night for three months, four months. And that's just the dedication to his craft. It's incredible. I was there when bracketology was born, but I still can't believe the heights to which he has taken it. It's 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 a word in the dictionary. I know a dude who is responsible for a word in the dictionary. Now that's pretty crazy. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I may have invented some words, but I don't think any of them will ever make the dictionary. Uh, the, the Joe <laughs> I, certainly I know has. I did when I smashed my finger in the car door. <laughs> yeah, I invented some when I used ago. to play golf a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, let's talk for a second about this photo you posted say. of you playing golf on the side of a mountain. Uh, you're making me nervous, dude. I was like, you know, if you hook one over there to the left and you know, over there close to the the bluff, j- just leave it over there and drop one out in the middle of the fairway and, and you keep playing. But that that was beautiful. What what a cool scene. Yeah, it's great. It's it's over uh, on the Georgia side of the mountain from me. Uh, it's a course called Macklemore. And it was recently redone by a, a good friend of mine, Bill Bergen. I've done a lot of golf coverage. He's a, a reverent restorer uh, of, of classic golf course. This wasn't a classic so much, but it needed some work despite it being on a beautiful, uh, probably one of the beautiful, most beautiful sites east of the Rockies that you'll see. But this hole that Kevin's talking about, I mean, you can hit a perfect drive and uh, it's the only shot I've ever had in golf where I, my hands trembled taking back the club for the approach because if you miss, it's about a 3,000-foot drop-off <laughs> if you pull it. In, in front of the green, there's there's natural grasses. I like to call it gunch. Uh, there, there's uh, a bunker in front of the green, and it's, a, it's longer than the state of Illinois, uh, uh, and you've, you've got to bail out right. I hit the green, and I was another zip code away from the hole. I did not want to go left, like you said. If, if I hit it anywhere near left, I'd have said adios. Uh, just I'll, I'll pull another Pro V1 out of my bag and say goodbye. But, yeah, that that's a scary shot. And uh, all you golfers out there, if you're ever in our neck of the woods, go up to Macklemore. Uh, you will not be disappointed. 
It made me think of like some of those shots that you see guys hit at Pebble Beach where there, there's the you know cliff on, on the right side of the fairway exactly. and a couple of those holes. And the, that, that's always wild. It, as, as close as some of the, the players get. And uh, like you're saying, your knees have to be knocking and, and hands shaking a little bit when you try oh, to take the club back for those. It's scary. I mean, it, and it's just a golf ball. It's not like right. somebody's going to reach down out of the sky and, and, and pull you away and you're gone forever. It's just a golf ball. But it, but it's still scary. You, you, you know, you're out there to compete. I don't compete very well, but, but I do come. No, I'm a good competitor. I'm just not a great player. Uh, but yeah, something like that really adds a little spice to the game. Let's put it that way. Yeah, no doubt about it. But very cool to see that uh, photo the other day. We got to play. We've got to play. Yeah, well, I, I got to go. Talked some... about that. And... Yeah, I got to go to the range and, and hit a few. I, I might be two shoulder surgeries away from uh, continuing my golf. I was going to say we both have long <laughs> shoulders. I, I, uh, I don't know. We we might need a little work before we get out there. Well, a lot's always on John Calipari's shoulders every year as he uh, coaches Kentucky. They're now 6-2, and two, but they lost at home to UNC Wilmington after that blowout win over Miami last week. We had Tom Leach on the show the same day they were about to play the Hurricanes, and they played great in the second half. But UNC Wilmington uh, goes into Rupp Arena and wins 80-73. to 73. Uh, Trey White scored 27 points with 10 rebounds. Reed Shepard had 25 for Kentucky. But it was also the debut of their new floor at Rupp Arena, and uh, UNC Wilmington spoiled the party a little bit and made me think a few years back to 2001, the last time Kentucky got a new court. Uh, Western Kentucky, my alma mater, went up there and also beat them that day, 64-52, to 52, if I remember, was the final score there. That was a really good Western team with Dennis Felton that ended up in the uh, NCAA tournament after they won 28 games. So Kentucky now is 1-2 and two on new courts at Rupp Arena. They beat Wisconsin on the original court back in 1976 when they opened the place. But uh, is there cause for worry after a loss to UNC Wilmington that may have brought that team uh, down to earth a little bit after just a fantastic performance against Miami? Uh, you know, Kentucky fans can worry about far less than this. Uh, but I, I'll tell you, it, it was a shocking and maybe one of the most shocking developments of this season so far. Uh, you know, Kentucky, if you look at the box scores, most things were relatively even, mm-hmm. except for bench points. Uh, Wilmington had 46 bench points to just five for UK. So clearly... Uh, you know, Coach Cal is going to have to find some ingredients to put together. Rob Dillingham, who had been averaging double figures, only scored two in that game. And, uh, you know, ironically, it was the game where Aaron Bradshaw, the five-star center, came back, and some people feared that uh, he might – it might disrupt chemistry a little bit. I don't see anything that was his fault there. He played 12 minutes. Really, they just didn't shoot the ball that well. They were 5 of 17 from three, and – and Wilmington was 11 of 31. So those six made threes was, was a was a difference. And they squeezed off 65 more shots. And, it, you know, Wilmington is coached uh, by the disciple of a Rick Pitino disciple. So it's mm-hmm. second generation, but still third generation. But that's the way they play. And and on that night, they, they made a few more extra threes than Kentucky did. 
We have disciples of disciples off my coaching tree now at uh, UNC. <laughs> That's right. And, His uh, tree is fast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that new court has the, the outline of the state of Kentucky. And I, I was thinking it just opens up all sorts of opportunities for Tom Leach to, to talk about a, you know, three from around Owensboro or they went from Pikeville to yeah. Paducah on that fast break or something like that. <laughs> one of the other big stories. That's that, great. <laughs> yeah. That, this is how my mind works. Uh, one of the other stories of the week, uh, and a little more serious subject matter, NCAA President Charlie Baker m- made what could be a groundbreaking plan regarding schools paying athletes. Uh, it allows really the richest schools in D1 to pay them through a trust fund. I won't pretend to understand how it all really works, but it will make them part of a new tier of Division One, committing to paying players uh, on top of the scholarships they get. Uh, this sounds like something that could really change the landscape, which has already been changed a lot by NIL and, and the transfer portal. It's a little bit self-serving and, and a little bit of a reaction to having uh, trotted out in NIL with, with no boundaries, uh, which was a huge mistake. And it allowed these collectives to, to third-party groups to come up. And what they want to do is put more uh, power of that into the hands of the schools they want to take themselves off the hook uh, for a potential lawsuit. Uh, so uh, like like happened when uh, years ago after, I, I don't know, I guess the video game uh, was, was maybe the catalyst to that. But what worries me is they, they're talking about ponying up $30,000 per player uh, per, per team. And SI did a little math. They said they just estimated at, at say four hundred athletes, that's six million dollars a year, and Charlie Baker even went higher than that. He said eight to nine hundred athletes, which would be twelve million to fifteen million. Well, there aren't a ton of schools that can afford that, and there are far fewer schools. And, and this is ironic, and probably something most people wouldn't imagine. There aren't many schools that operate in in the black, yeah, uh, of of any size. So I wonder if this is going to collapse under its own weight. I wonder how many uh, schools can pony up the money to be in this upper level. And I wonder what it does to the NCAA tournament. If they do anything that jeopardizes that, that is a financial suicide. But it's, it's funny. Greg, Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, uh, wasn't happy that he wasn't notified about this. And on the other hand, uh, Chris Grant, Southland commissioner, told Sports Illustrated that he's excited about it. And he says, I have athletic directors chomping at the bid to provide a more enhanced athlete experience through their collectors or other fundraising avenues. And all I can say is good luck with that, uh, because I can't imagine Southland schools being able to to put together the kind of money it's going to take to fund this. Few other notes. Uh, American Athletic Conference Commissioner Michael Resco announced uh, he'll retire at the end of the academic year. He's the only commissioner in the history of that league which has undergone a whole lot of additions and subtractions in its 11 years. Most recently, uh, adding six schools after UCF and Cincinnati and Houston joined the Big 12 uh, just in the last few months. So all the best to, to Mike. Uh, and and also to Texas Tech forward and a guy who's a Nashville native, Devin Cambridge. Uh, out for the season with a knee injury from Wednesday's game, uh, Texas Tech uh, 
uh, was playing Omaha. He was averaging 10 points and four rebounds, but a guy who played at Arizona State and Auburn previously, their whole family just has terrific basketball players, including uh, his brother, who he played with at Arizona State, Devin did, and his sister, Jordan, who uh, is a graduate guard at, at Vanderbilt, graduate student and a guard, and uh, she's just a really amazing player and person. Uh, she's come back from a number of injuries, including uh, one last season that they kept her out for the whole year and tore her Achilles, but she's come back and having a, a great year for a Vanderbilt team that's off to a good start. But all the best to Devin Cambridge. Uh, wish him well and uh, hopefully a speedy recovery from the knee injury. And speaking of guys making comebacks, how about Bronny James uh, about to make his debut for USC? He, of course, had that really scary heart incident back in the summer, and we wondered what his future might be. Of course, the, the son of basketball legend LeBron James, but uh, sounds like Bronny's almost able to to get back out there and play in a game situation. Oh, Andy Enfield, their coach, was talking about it, but uh, happy for him, and uh, boy, you, you just want the best for that guy as he makes his college debut. Yeah, that's so scary. I, I know you Vanderbilt has, has been involved with kids who have uh, collapsed with cardiac uh, conditions and and brought back by by the alert training staff at Tennessee. It's happened. I've been around it. It's just scary, and I'm sure. I don't know LeBron personally, obviously, but but knowing how he considers every aspect of his life, I don't think he would allow his son. Uh, to go back out there if he wasn't convinced that the doctors believe he's okay to be back yeah i heard an announcer say they were watching a a, a usc shoot around and Bronny was knocking the bottom out of it so uh he comes he's not lebron but he comes to the college game with a skill that even his father didn't have right out of the shoot because he didn't need it he didn't need to be a three-point shooter when he was built like adonis and he could handle it like you know, a, a slick point guard. He could get points any way he wanted to. But Bronny's a different player. He's smaller. Uh, he's more of a, I don't know, combo guard, I guess. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see. Uh, Andy Enfield told the Athletic, it's hard enough to adjust to the college game for anybody. But when you've been out six months, it takes time. And when you've been out uh, six months after a cardiac incident, I'd say it, it's really in your head. And it's, it's going to take a while for him to be the kind of player that, that I know USC fans hope he can be. All right, Chris, let's talk about one of the more unique plays that's happened in college basketball so far, and that is a block <laughs> shot with a shoe. Uh, it happened in a game this involving Indiana, Purdue, Fort Wayne, and Southern Indiana just this past week. Rashid Bello of IPFW blocked a shot by Jack Campion of Southern Indiana. Bello had lost his shoe. He picked it up. And when he went to put his hand up to block a shot attempt, he was holding the shoe. And supposedly the whole thing is legal since Bello didn't throw the shoe at either the player or the ball. And if you haven't seen this clip, I encourage people to go find it. You you don't have to look very far. That's some really funny stuff, though. It really is. And and my first thought is, well, how much does that increase his wingspan? Uh, you, You know, because the shoe, the video, he's holding it about halfway up and he looks like he wears about a 12 so you know he's got a few extra inches there to to get to that shot but yet i don't i think it was instinctive i don't think he thought about it i think he 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 reached to block the shot with his left hand and that happened to be the hand with which he was carrying his shoe and i think the the block was an instinctive reaction and i don't see how they could possibly rule against that he 
he was just holding a shoe. <laughs> but it is bizarre, and I could see both sides of the coin. I, I could see where his coach would be very happy about the resourcefulness of that kid, and the opposing coach would be bummed out because it was like a an outside implement. I mean, you remember a few years, way, well, several years back, uh, the golfer Craig Stadler uh, leaned on a towel while he was hitting a shot from his knees, uh-huh. and they said that was an implement, you know, and – if they're going to nail you for a towel, uh, how can you block a shot with a shoe? Yeah, he was just trying to keep his pants from getting wet when he was uh, kneeling on some wet grass. Yeah, exactly. I remember that. You know, yeah. Craig was a, a, a natty dresser, as you'll recall. But, oh, for sure. But, uh, yeah, th- those guys from the RNA and the USGA, they, they need to lighten up. <laughs> I think they have changed the rules where people can't call in rules violations uh, if they're watching on yeah, TV. Exactly. I, that's exactly. Somebody called that in from television. Yeah. So college basketball has had the glove at Oregon State. They've had the boot at Texas A&M, and now they have the shoe at uh, Indiana, Purdue, Fort Wayne. Well, Chris, I know you're going to be uh, at a game this weekend. You'll be at Illinois at Tennessee. That, that should be a really good one to see. Uh, speaking of teams that are orange, they'll, they'll play in Knoxville this weekend. I have the Saturday off, and I don't get very many Saturdays wow. off from the span of, of August when football starts all the way through uh, May when, uh, when when baseball's going on. Baseball's over, yeah. But you I'll, better enjoy that. Yeah, I, I tell you what I'm going to do tomorrow. It's our, our family maybe doesn't have tons and tons of holiday things, holiday traditions, uh, you know, going back to when I was a kid. But my favorite one was the day when my dad made the party mix. And so the last few years I've tried and I cannot make it as well as my dad, but I've tried to make the the old school checks party mix. And I know the ingredients by heart. So I've I've gone and bought all the stuff. And and on Saturday, uh, I'm going to watch some hoops and I'm going to make some party mix. And it's going to be a glorious day. Oh, man, that's it's funny you mentioned that. My wife and I were just talking about uh, uh, buying the last of the ingredients we needed for the party mix. We got one of those three packs of all the different kinds yep. of checks. Yep, that's rice, what I got too. Wheat, uh-huh. The corn, and we are ready to roll. Uh, so uh, have fun with that, man. I, I know for you, a weekend off is a rarity. It's funny. I don't even have to like look up the ingredients. I, I know what's in it. It's the three kinds of checks. Uh, the way we make yep. it is it's Cheerios, it's pretzel sticks, uh, it's cheese nips, and then it's a couple cans of nuts. There's one can of mixed nuts and one can of, of regular peanuts. And uh, you, you make the sauce and you pour it on and you cook it at 250 for a long time and then you get it all out and you, oh man. Wow, man. I, I can taste it, man. It's almost Chef here. Chef Emeril over here. <laughs> oh, no yeah. doubt. All right. We'll do it again next time. Uh, he's Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. That is the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast and we'll talk to you soon.